Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You all look like beautiful stars tonight. Watson taking a deep shot, looking for Fuller. What a catch! The pressure of J.J. Watt. But I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. Deshaun Watson does it himself. You're going to want to be comfortable today. Watch the show. Night of the fight, you may feel a slight sting. That's pride fucking with you. Fuck pride. For the win in overtime to advance the Texans. Got it! Welcome into the Believe in Texans podcast. This is your host, Fred Davis, with the one, the only... All this gentleman did was spend 14 years starting in the National Football League. Two-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, 93 and a half career sacks, the most ever by a nose tackle in the history of the National Football League. A Bayou Bengal and the pride of the fo-fo, the one, the only, Mr. Henry Tomas. Henry Thomas, how are you today, sir? Man, I am wonderful. Glad to get this kicked off here, the Texans podcast. You got to believe in the Texans, and you know, if anybody does, I do. No, you certainly do, and uh, we want to welcome everybody here to the Believe in Texans podcast. Uh, listen, better late than never, folks. We uh, we were going to do this to start the season off, and then, of course, uh, schedules got a little crazy. But uh, shout-out to everybody there at the uh, Believe Podcast Network, Braun, Alex, and uh, all the guys that work behind the scenes uh, to put everything together over there at the Believe Podcast Network. So we're glad we were finally able to uh, work some schedules around. And it's just funny how life works sometimes, Henry Thomas. And uh, here we are going into week six. And listen... We confirmed with Alex and the team last week that we would be making our, our triumphant return to the Believe in Texans podcast last week. And, Henry, I don't think it's a coincidence that when you and I came back and said we were going to be doing the Texans podcast after not doing one for the first four weeks. Now, again, we do our normal show, the HD show, with our boy Bitter Mike, so that has not changed. So definitely go check that out after you listen to the Texans podcast. Definitely go check out the HD show. You'll be glad you did. But again, Henry, I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, you and I come back on board and suddenly the Texans find themselves in the win column. There they are. You know, they, they've made some moves in the, their damn selves. You know, they got some uh, new coaching. They certainly do. Uh, they got rid of uh, general manager and head coach. Never a bad move. Never a bad move, Bill O'Brien, and um, I think they set um, some kind of precedence because uh, shortly after that, another team did the same. And I'm looking for the next maybe three or four weeks it to happen maybe two two or three more times. No, you're definitely uh, onto something there. And again, for those that uh, have listened to the HD Show podcast, we talked a couple weeks ago. Uh, we did kind of our own handicapped, our own little rankings as to uh, what coach would be the first one to uh, fall to the wayside in the National Football League. And of course, we didn't. Have, we, I mean, we had Bill O'Brien in our top five. Who's three? 
Okay, we had him in our top five, and of course we were all kind of thinking that maybe it was going to be Dan Quinn or Adam Gase. I think we had Gase first. We had Gase first, considering how poorly they've looked. Now the Texans have gotten, they, they've had a little bit of benefit of the doubt in these first four weeks, and, and we'll just kind of give a little recap here of what's gone on obviously in the first four weeks for anybody that, you know, just to kind of give you an update of, of where we've been and just kind of our thoughts on how things have, have, have played out. Um, you know, listen, you open the season against the two best teams in the AFC, and it's not even close. Right. All right. I mean, there's no shame in losing to the Chiefs. Super Bowl champs. There's no shame in losing to the Baltimore Ravens, who, for whatever reason, Came people right up. still yep. think is the best team in the AFC. And so then there, you go to a, a you get the third one. You, you travel to the Steelers. To the Steelers, who is, you know, tried and true year after year. Well, and let's call it what it is. When number seven's at quarterback. It's a different game. That, it's a different ball game. Different team, different ball game. Absolutely. I mean, think about it this way. This team was, what, 8-8 eight and eight last year with a musical chairs of, you know, oh. dumpster fire XFL retread quarterbacks. Comical. It was the quarterback situation there. It absolutely was. And they still were in contention for a playoff spot. Absolutely. Uh, which, you know, and again, and, and this is another conversation for another time, but I, I thought the job that Mike – and listen, Mike Tomlin has been – you know, and listen, the guy's got a couple Super Bowls under his, under his belt. Well, he's got one Super Bowl under his belt. But for a guy that, that has had a, a ton of success, you know, Tomlin's gotten some, some criticism, though, too, for the teams he's had for as good as they've been for not getting further along, right? Right. Uh, and, they, and then last year, you know – given the, the difficulties he had offensively, probably his best coaching job he's ever done. So, again, that being said, you know, you lose the first three games. You've got a do-or-die situation against the Minnesota Vikings, and pretty, they pretty much did whatever they wanted to do against you. The, and then, of course, the huge news falls, what, a couple days later, or maybe that – I think it was that following Monday. Yes. B.O.B.'s gone, and, of course, we all know he was the GM and the head coach, so he gets the boot, first head coach fired, uh, as Henry alluded to. And you and I talked about this last night. And you talked about it a little bit on the show, uh, something that you know I haven't really heard anybody talk about. And I, I, now that you mention it, it makes a lot of sense. We were all under the premise or the guise that Tim Kelly, your your offensive coordinator this year, was going to be the guy calling the plays. Right. And they had an offensive explosion in week five, finally, highest output, uh, over 400 yards of total offense, best game that, that you know, damn near running the ball and throwing, I mean, by far the best game they've had throwing the ball, uh, Deshaun Watson, Brandon Cooks finally came out of witness protection program, finally looked like the guy that, you well, know. And it, it, it lends to, 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 to my idea that he, the offensive coordinator, actually got a chance to call plays because it was early in the game that you saw they made a point to get the ball in Cobb's hand. You oh, know? you mean uh, you mean Brandon Cooks? I mean Cooks in yeah. the Cooks' hand. I yes. mean he he got uh, uh, in the round. He's got the first couple of passes was he was targeted, and it was obvious that they made a conscious effort to get him in the ball game because, like you said before, witness protection. Oh, he was nowhere. Now you could argue the entire. Uh, the entire receiving core, short of Will Fuller, right. has been a witness protection program. Randall Cobb's just taking money. Yeah, that's what it felt like early. Well, and it still does. Uh, Randall Cobb right now, uh, just real quick, and again, listen, we're not here to dump on teams, but we're just calling it like we see it. Uh, Randall Cobb last week, six targets, six catches, 47 yards. Yeah. Okay? I mean, those numbers aren't going to you know blow anybody's you know, you know, skirt up. 
But the, 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 the numbers that really jump out at everybody, eight catches, 161 yards, and a touchdown uh, for Mr. Brandon Cooks. You got Darren, Fel- uh, Darren Fells involved. Uh, you saw tight ends catch passes on uh, the other day. I mean, everybody, there was a nice distribution to everybody. Um, again, Will Fuller, he had four catches for 58 yards and a touchdown. I mean, again, he's been probably your most consistent wide receiver through the first f- uh, five weeks of the season. And now that you've got... Um, I, I guess my first question for you is, what does that mean to this Texans team? I mean, listen, you, you heard everything from, I mean, J.J. Watt, he was sending all these cryptic messages. I mean, he sent out a picture. That Tuesday following the news that B.O.B. had been fired, J.J. Uh, Watt puts out a picture on his Instagram of the stadium inside where the roof's open and the sun's shining down into the stadium. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no caption, no yeah. words, no nothing. Just, Just a <laughs> exactly, exactly like the heavens had parted, uh-huh. and suddenly it was a fresh new beginning uh, over there on Kirby. Well, and and it shows. Uh, it showed up in the game. Um, the attitude of the team, um, the explosiveness of, of the offense. They got different plays that you know that they felt like running that they felt confident in. I mean, when you're confident in the play calling, the execution is going to be better. But um, it, it was definitely turning into a toxic environment, and I think the the McNair family did the right right move. They did what they had to do. Cal McNair probably sat on this thing a little bit too long. We'll get to Jack Easterby in just a second because I'm still a little flummoxed as to how he's still uh, in charge and, and still has say-so over what's going on. But you've got a great theory on that as well. Um, I got a question. I got an Before, answer. Um, do you remember wide receiver named Easy uh, Nakachua for the Texans? Number 17? I'm not sure what number he wore. I feel like I do. He, I mean, he was he was he was one of those undrafted free agents at the end of the Kubiak slash beginning of the Bill O'Brien era. If I'm okay. not mistaken. Well, I bring that up to say, last night he got a rose on the Bachelorette. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I All just right. ran across the All story right. and I thought. Texans making news outside of the football <laughs> world. There you have it, Henry Thomas, with your pop culture update uh, covering all things Texans. The one, the one thing about Bill O'Brien, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this up here in just a second, and we'll get on to what happened in week five and then get, get you ready for uh, week six. The one thing about Bill O'Brien after seven seasons was, even when the team struggled and even when the team pretty much did the exact same thing over and over and over again, the one fallback that all the Bill O'Brien apologists always had was, well, the team plays hard. And there was no denying that. I mean, the team, I mean, they hadn't quote-unquote quit on Bill O'Brien until this season. Like, you could tell the last two weeks against the Vikings and not so much, maybe a little bit in the second half against the Steelers, but more so against the Vikings. I'm not, again, I'm not saying the team just flat out quit, but you could definitely tell this was a team that was just just mentally exhausted, or at least from a the, – the, the message from Bill O'Brien was not translating to whatever he was saying on the field. And I feel like that was kind of the, – the, the, there had been a sea change as to the culture. Well, and, and you know, it, it had to be that because um, rumor had it that um, it was a big blowout during the, that practice of the Vikings uh, between J.J. Watt and Bill O'Brien. Yeah. And you have an iconic player on your team. And that kind of thing goes down in front of all of the team. 
nine times out of ten, they're going to be on the side of the player because they, they, they sweat tears and blood with him out yeah. on the field, know what he does, what he brings, and they're going to it, – it's, it's not just his frustration. He's saying those frustrations from the whole team. For everybody. And it, it showed when Bill was gone, they came out with a, you know, rejuvenated. They looked a little sluggish there in the first half. Uh, I mean, they still there were still some goofy throws from Deshaun. Um, offensively, I, I still thought they were kind of a little bit in slow motion. But the, you know, you, you you saw as the game instead of the Texans folding as the game wore on, you saw an offense that actually got sharper. They got better. They got crisper. Um, you saw a little momentum. You saw a little flow to it. And of course, obviously, and again, let's I mean, let's not get carried away. I mean, it wasn't like they beat. You know, it wasn't like they got done beating the Saints or the Chiefs right. or anybody like that. I mean, they did beat the one and four Jacksonville Jaguars. So, you know, in the words of, uh, you know, uh, the hell am I trying to say here? Um, oh, God, why can't I think of his name? I got it on the top of my head. <laughs> in the names of Winston Wolf. Okay. <laughs> let's, not, let's not start sucking our bleeps just yet. <laughs> All right. I mean, right. it was the Jacksonville Jaguars, but. That's who they put in front of them. But that's they, who but those guys they, get paid to play too. That's right. And they jumped out and 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 played. I mean, the defense looked a little bit better than because you know the, your defense is hurting. And when it that comes That defense, I'm not sure what to make of that group right uh, now. Yeah, you got a big, you know, your your linebacker core took a hit. Yes, Bernard McKinney's out. Looks like he's going to be out for the rest of the season. And um they they still weren't on the same page with the secondary. No. Which in by themselves are a cluster you fuck of people trying to trying to make plays in, you know, in a, a defense that your defense coordinator's first time doing it. So, yes, as a as a first time D, D coordinator, absolutely. And it, you know, there there's going to be some blips and some some problems, but in the the talent pool that's back there, a lot of times with those bleeps and problems and blunders, you have athletic abilities that will overcome that. Yeah, and and will make up for it. Texans don't have that. It in the Texans instance, it's it's more magnified. You know, when they make that mistake, it's huge. It's a huge mistake, a huge blunder. Right now, uh, when you look at this Texans defense, all right, they're one of the worst teams in the league right now at getting pressure on the quarterback. Uh, Whitney Merciless, your man from Amsterdam, the one, the only, Mr. Whitney Merciless, leads the team in sacks right now. He's got three. Uh, then you've got a little bit of a log jam there. You've got uh, four guys with two, Cunningham, Jacob Martin, J.J. Watt, and then uh, Charles uh, Aminahu, and then uh, P.J. Hall and Carlos Watkins are your other guys there that have uh, have a sack as well. But, uh, you know, you don't – and that's the thing about – you know, you haven't really seen anything exotic with the safeties, all right? That's the one thing that you see some of these teams doing is, you know, you get guys – you know, you'll have uh, safeties coming in on safety blitz. I, I haven't seen a lot of that from the Texans uh, throughout the course of the first five weeks of the season. Now, maybe as this thing starts to wind up, you know, as, as now that – I don't know, maybe Anthony Weaver's going to start. I mean, now that he's working with um, Cornell, you know, Romeo, Romeo Cornell, maybe now you're going to see a little more, I don't know, and I hate to use the word exotic because that just sounds so cliche, but, you well, know, maybe there. But at the same time, though, too, it's not like Romeo was ever known for, for well, dialing up crazy blitz. Here's the thing for the blitzes and the safety, the things with the safeties. 
you need your safeties back there because you don't actually have the experience or the talent to go one-on-one with a lot of NFL receivers with your cornerbacks. So you're bringing your safeties out of the middle that's your blanket to help double the deep ball or whoever's coming across the middle. He comes out of there. You're leaving that guy on an island. By himself. And, you know, there ain't no islands out there. That could be trouble. That's right. (laughs) That could be a lot of trouble. Real quick, um, just a couple stats. Uh, when we were talking about that, we were kind of uh, giving the, the, the receiving core a hard, a hard time. Uh, right now, Will Fuller, he leads all receivers for the Texans. He's got 22 catches, 332 yards. Uh, Brandon Cooks, after his monster performance the other day, he's now got 18 for 299. And the aforementioned Randall Cobb, 19 catches. He's actually second on the team with 19 receptions for 260 yards. That's a whopping 7.7 yards per reception. There you go. Okay. So, I don't know if that's what, uh, you know, a guy you're paying $9 million a year to do. Right. But that's what he's doing. Well, um, in the upcoming game, he's going to have to do more. I mean, you, you would think that there would be gravitating to going more long ball, but it's difficult to do the long ball when you got that kind of pressure on them. Yeah. And um, they haven't done a great job of keeping the pressure off. Um, our guy uh, Watson is great moving around, getting out, getting out of trouble, but he still needs those moments, those that time, even if he gets out of trouble, to be able to set his feet and get the ball, deliver the ball to the, the open receivers. I still think he's having to do too much of that, though. He's still he having to scramble is. way too much. And, and again, I, I, you know, you're obviously not going to go through and do a wholesale fire sale of the coaching staff. Five no. weeks into the season, but you, you have a but type Mike of quarterback. Got to go. Yeah, I mean, you you got to you got a quarterback that. Let's put him in a, I don't know, a Kubiak offense. You're gonna design move him around exactly. to find the open guy to give him time to cover up that um, weakness in your offensive line. Why not run more bootlegs with him? Huh? Exactly. Why not? I mean, I just, I mean, John Elway made a living running a bootleg. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, we don't, I mean, for as much running, I mean, and that's what I, that's what just, you know, we, we, and that's, listen, that's one of the differences and, and I get it. We all, we like to compare, um, you know, you look at the, 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 the Lamar Jacksons of the world, the Pat Mahomes of the world, the Deshaun Watsons of the world. And one of the things that's made Lamar Jackson, and, he, and hell, we, we'll even throw in a guy like a, uh, um, you know, Josh Allen in there. Yes. I mean, Brian Dable has figured out, okay, this guy doesn't mind. He, he likes to run. Okay, we're going to do some design plays where the pocket moves. And I just don't feel like, and maybe again, maybe we're going to start seeing more of that now that Tim Kelly, I mean, really, who's he answering to now? Right, exactly. I mean, whatever I, I mean, who's he bouncing? I mean, you you joked about it last night. I mean, what's Cronell saying? I mean, yeah. it's not like he's going to have a lot of feedback for him as far as, well, I thought we should have done. I mean, what's he yeah. going to really say? He's going to really say, hey, look, let's keep this one on the ground. <laughs> Uh, they're going to bring the house on this one. So <laughs> dial something up for it. I'm just to letting you know. I mean, other than playing a defensive, you know, devil's advocate, yes. there's nobody else now in that building that Tim Kelly, I mean, other than what, the quarterback's coach or, you know, other than maybe other offensive members of the, the coaching staff. But at the end of the day, the buck now stops with him. Right. And so if he wants to dial up 10 go routes. Yeah, he can do it. We're we going to see 10 go routes on Sunday. And the thing about moving that pocket, it, it – 
allows your offensive line to better protect because the first read for the defensive line is a run. So they're playing more lateral than penetrating for the quarterback, and then they have to redirect, start again to get to the quarterback. Right. Gives them that much more time to do it. And it, it, it allows your offensive line not to look as weak as it does on a straight drop back. No, because it seems like sometimes, I mean, as soon as he drops back, he's got guys in his face. Oh, when he gets, hits five, if he's taking a five-step drop, when his foot hits five, he's going to he's got to start running because he he doesn't have time to look at look over the 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 pass patterns and what have you because he's under duress. Yeah, yeah, no, and and you know, and and for a group that was coming back from last year that I thought had a much better year than, than people gave it credit for. I, I really thought this year, you know, you get all five guys coming back, you're going to have yourself a good squad, but um, we shall see. So uh, first win in the books for your Houston Texans. They win 30 to 14 over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Once again, Deshaun Watson uh, had himself uh, the best day of his season so far, 357 yards, uh, a couple of touchdown passes as well. So he had himself a ball game. Got to feel good about that. Now, that being said, all right, it was the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, again, let's not get too crazy about it. You took care of it. But, again, it was your first division game of the season. All right, so you took care of that. Now you move on to Nashville this Sunday against a Tennessee team that – you know, prior to last night, the news about them was, uh, you know, they pretty much wrecked COVID for the entire National Football League, right? COVID was all over Tennessee. And speaking of being all over, uh, Jose Altuve was all over that pitch, and we've got ourselves a one nothing uh, Astro lead. Anyway, um, you're going to Tennessee, and this Tennessee team last night against the Buffalo Bills, or Tuesday night against the Buffalo Bills, did pretty much whatever they wanted to do. Whatever. Defensively. Now, this now again, they looked like a team that hadn't played in two weeks. Yeah. All right. So they Early I mean on. they looked fr- I mean, well, they looked a little rusty, but they looked fresh too. Yes. I mean, they definitely looked fresh. Uh Ryan Tannehill showed everybody why he used to be a wide receiver over at Texas A and M before they moved him to quarterback, because I'll tell you what, uh there's another guy. That's got some. That's got some scoots yep. when he absolutely now again, I mean no you know, no one's gonna get him confused for being Lamar Jackson anytime soon, but the what Ryan Tannehill has done, and he showed flashes of it in Miami. I mean, let's not pretend like this dude was just an absolute, you know, uh, uh, dumpster fire in Miami. But what he's been able to do since he's been over there in Tennessee, I mean, he has he has grabbed control of that offense. Doesn't hurt too when you got a, a freaking you know. Uh, man among boys in the backfield when you've got a, a, a terminator in the backfield. Oh, I mean he's all of he's clearly six four. He's never been a six four. Two forty five, two fifty five. I mean he's a linebacker. He is a beast that can run the ball. I mean did you ever who's the biggest running back you ever saw back in your day? Uh a Nigerian nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Christian Okoye? Christian Okoye, yes. But how much of that was that stupid neck roll of his? It was a lot of it was a neck roll, but he still was big man. He was a big because he was about what six two. Yeah, he was about six three. Okay, so he was every bit of six three. Oh yeah, he was taller than I was. I mean, I I made a couple tackles on him and laid there. He's on this. I'm attacking another defensive lineman. You know, the thing of it is, though, that people forget about Christian Okoye. You know, he had that monster year in 1990. Yeah, and then really never did much after that. Nope. 
I mean, not a whole lot. He had that one big year where he beat uh, where he beat your boy uh, Barry Sanders for the rushing title. Right, beat him by ten yards, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. And then thirty five was just that was it. It was, that was it. You know, yeah. him and Barry Word had a little timeshare the following That's season, right. and then that was pretty much it. But he had a cool nickname too. Yes, can't go wrong because we really haven't seen a Nigerian nightmare since. No, <laughs> not a lot of people get that name. <laughs> well. Being from Nigeria is one of the uh, key attributes in order to be the Nigerian Nigerian. Yeah, and when you think of athletes from Nigeria, you think that long-distance runner guy, you know, not a very big running back. I was going to say, I, I'm trying to think, you know, yeah. I, I don't know of any many Nigerian athletes. I mean, they're out there, don't yeah. get me wrong, but I'm talking about mainstream. Right, you think of that cross-country runner, that uh, 5,000K guy. I was going to say, know. you know, maybe you some sprinters here and there, but I mean, from a... You know, NBA wise, yeah. Was Akeem Nigerian? Oh. <laughs> oh. I don't think he was. That's worth looking up, anyways. I don't, I don't think he was. I don't think he was. We'll take a look. He was. There you go. He we was. got it. <laughs> we stand corrected. We stand corrected. How about that? So yes, Hakeem Olajuwon was still is still is yes. <laughs> I don't, think, I don't think he's given up being Nigerian. Right. Um, but, again, the thing about Hakeem, uh, I mean, he might have been a nightmare to guys in the in the post. Absolutely. But, um, he, you know. The you, dream shake. The dream. You know, yeah. you don't think. But, he, but, well, again, maybe there's something with sleeping. I'm not sure if that's a Nigerian <laughs> thing or not. But you got the, you got the dream shake. And, he, yeah, and again, nightmare. he was Hakeem the dream Olajuwon. So, go figure. But, um, all right. So, no, when you got Derrick Henry, and, and, and again, one of the other takeaways from last night's or Tuesday night's game as well was, uh, speaking of Derrick Henry, was the absolute, I mean, I don't even know if you call it a stiff arm, but what he did to Josh Norman. Yeah, that was, I mean, everyone all day today was asking me about it. That's all. And it's have like, you seen you the know, memes? And I, I tell them all the time, I was like, I, I compare that to when people ask me when I used to ride a motorcycle about, motorcycle riding i was like there's only two kinds of motorcycle riders those that have fallen and those that will fall same with football players i mean those that are gonna that you're gonna get knocked down it's gonna happen <laughs> but what i didn't understand or, or or know about it was that the guy who who got who was receiving that vicious stiff arm always did a lot of talking oh josh norman yeah and i wasn't you know, they said he was a talker, and it could have happened to Norman's another guy. Been qu- but the thing about Josh Norman, though, he's been quiet for a while. Yeah. He's been yeah. quiet for a few years. I mean, let's call it what it is. Josh Norman hasn't been the same dude since he left Carolina. Well, he ain't going to be the same dude after he this. He won't be the same the guy night. after last night. No, <laughs> Derrick Henry just absolutely manhandled him and, and literally, like, threw him. That, yeah. I think that's what made it so uh, – what made the play so incredible is the fact that he literally just chucked him uh, out of the way. So, And, I mean, it was a five-, six-yard carry, but, again yeah. – Anytime you see a defensive back get manhandled like that, especially in the National Football League, you just don't see that very often. So, um, no, they're going to have their hands full. And I think, you know, I guess the question is this. For a team that's coming off a two-week layoff and then to have to play two games in essentially six days. But at the same time, though, teams do that all the time. Well, I shouldn't say that because, I mean, it's one thing to go from Monday night to Sunday. Right. You're going from Tuesday night to Sunday. Yeah. How much does that that layoff leading up to that help? Well, the layoff leading up is going to help a lot. And from my experience, I think what happens now is it's not going to be so much physical 
uh, practice-wise. Practice It'll be more mental, more walk-through type, um, you know, a nice pace, but we're not hitting, we're not doing anything else to recover, but still give you an opportunity to visualize what the plays are going to look like. Are you, Have you been surprised, and, and one thing I've noticed with teams this year, and we've seen it in the NFL in the past where – and that's with a regular, a full regular off season, training camps, and you know everything's normal. Where usually the first two three weeks of the season, tackling's always terrible. Right, right, right. One of the things that's really impressed me with the Tennessee Titans, that defense was flying around last night. And from a tackling standpoint, I mean that's a ve- I tell you what, that's a very good tackling football team. Very good tackling football team. And the thing about it is, it's it's what you said. They flew around. Yeah, if one guy hit. And missed. Don't worry. <laughs> there was two or three dudes coming to clean it up. There's a, here comes another bullet. You know, so it they were that type of a, a, a defense. And and you know I was not a Vrabel guy, but what he does with that team, he has. I mean, he's brought the fundamentals. Has he made you a believer in what the Titans? Yeah. I, I love the Titans. I mean, I think. What, I like but what team. about him? Because okay, you and I were actually on the air. Yeah, you and I were out at Sam Houston Race Park the day we found out right. that uh, Vrabel had been named the Titans head coach, and I was I was stunned at the reaction by a lot of Texans fans, right? Because they were like, "Oh, he was garbage with the Texans." Da, da, da. Now, granted, they, I think they was was that the year they went to no, they went four no. and twelve that year, yeah, didn't they? Something like that. Um, yeah, it was a disaster of a season. That was uh, that was the year that our boy Deshaun uh, blew out his knee, right? Exactly. Of course, nobody cared because the Astros won the World Series that year. Um, what do you think and 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 I remember asking you about that then was you weren't all that surprised because in your mind you thought okay there's some guys who are just better head coaches than they are coordinators and Vrabel kind of the one thing that you said about Vrabel that why you weren't necessarily surprised why he got that head coaching job especially coming off the back uh, coming off such a bad season was that he is a you know motivating Right. Going to say all the right thing, things in an interview type of guy. He's that guy. Say all the right things, and I. The thing that I was not impressed with for him getting a job that I was really up in arms about was that I honestly didn't believe he earned it. Oh, okay. he didn't earn his stripes. He didn't go through because he had been a coach what five years, six years. I think three. Three or four. That well, let's put it this way. Worse. I want to say he'd been – he'd been well, I want to say he'd only been in the NFL three or four years, but I want to say he'd also been in, in the college ranks for two or three years prior to getting in the NFL. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. I want to say he coached at – was it Ohio State? I think he, he uh, had a cup of coffee at. And then uh, and then I want to say he was, what, a linebacker's coach? Because that's what it was, remember? The Texans – because the, the 49ers were going to make him their D.C. Yeah. And that's when – the Texans said, all right, never mind. We're going to make Romeo assistant head coach and then go ahead and promote Vrabel. Because that's right, Vrabel was a linebacker's coach. Exactly. That's what it was. Vrabel was a linebacker's coach, and they said, all right, never mind, uh, Romeo. Which, by the way, I didn't even know Romeo was still on the staff. I did. Okay? Yeah. I mean, and again, I'm not going to pretend. I, I, I could have swore he retired. No. Not going to lie. Nope. Totally forgot about that. Still there, still doing it. Um, what do you do? I mean, what, what was he doing? He was assistant head coach. What does that mean? That means I mean because he wasn't the DC. He, that just meant uh, Bill would say something or make a decision, and he sat there and <laughs> looked at him with that disgusted look and shook his head like, 
No. No. I wouldn't have done that. Put his mask over his eyes and just walk off. Yeah. <laughs> or just sat there rubbing his hands like, it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. He's 73 years old. Oldest guy coaching. Ever. Yeah. Ever. I mean, why not retire? What's left? You've won Super Bowls. Yeah, you've five, done. I mean, I you've think. you've done it all exactly. Yeah, I mean, you've been a part of iconic coaching staffs. I mean, you've been with Parcells. You've been with Belichick. Yes, and I guess that pretty much is the end of it at that point. <laughs> you've you had you've been a head coach yourself, you know. So tell you what, that poor bastard has taken over some really, <laughs> really <laughs> shitty situations. Exactly. Okay, I will say this: if there's anybody that can weather the storm for the for the in, for the rest of the season, it's definitely uh, our boy Romeo Cradell. Romeo Cradell, for those of you that may or may not know. Romeo was the head coach of the Chiefs. Absolutely. Uh, when Javon Belcher killed himself in the parking lot. Yeah. So, nothing the Texans are going to do. No. Is no. going to uh, throw our boy Romeo Cornell off. Yeah, he's he's good. That dude is 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 uh you know I'm pretty sure he's thinking I have seen it all. I, he, I literally and yeah. he has. Exactly. He absolutely has. I mean, again, that, and of course I remember when that story came out. But um, all right, so. I just after what the Titans were able to do to the Buffalo Bills. Now it's a different offense, and you could. I mean, hey, I'm gonna say it. When you put the okay, if you put the 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 Tennessee Titans on paper, or excuse me, not the Tennessee Titans. If you put the Buffalo Bills on paper, and if you put the the Houston Texans on paper, all right. And I know the old adage, uh, paper, paper don't, don't play, play. But tell me if I'm crazy. If I'm just going off of what I see on paper. Don't the Texans have a better team? On paper? Offensively. Offensively. Defensively, I'll give it to the Bills. I think Bills are a better team yeah. defensively, and their defensive line's a lot better. Uh, and they got some some players in the secondary, Darius White. But If you're looking at it on paper, okay. But if I'll you just that. look at it on paper, I mean, because at the end of the day, think about yeah, it this way. Cooks, Cobb. Um, Cooks, Cobb, Fuller. Yes. All right. Um, and then, you know, you got the, the, the Akins and, and Fells. Fells all right? and Akins, yes. Because here's the other thing, too. I mean, I, Devin Singletary, God bless him, but I mean, he's not doing anything to to to, to get you know rev right. your engines up, okay? I mean, he and he hadn't had a great season, and again, we li- while we like Josh Allen and we like the 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 maturation and the improvement he's made in in his three years in the NFL so far, if you've got one game to win, as we saw last year when these two teams played, okay, dude, Texans. All right. I mean, uh, number four made the plays when he had to make them, and literally made them out of thin air when he had, you know, I mean, you, I mean, you were talking about a miraculous play, you know, two guys coming at him. There's only one, two, maybe three quarterbacks that are going to get out of that exact situation when you've got two defenders, and their whole thing is meet me at the quarterback and throw a strike afterwards, and throw a strike, have the wherewithal to throw a strike afterwards. So offensively. You would think now again. You got Stephon Diggs, you got Cole Beasley, but again, Cole Beasley's pretty much just a. a although I, from what I think I remember him saying a stat uh, the other day, you know, he had statistically had his best year ever last year. Yeah, he did. All right, um, and he's. I mean, again, he's. What is it about? What is it about little white guys that have that slot position down on lock? Got it on lock. Seriously, it's like. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to outrun you. <laughs> but I'll find that spot and squat. But I know where to go. I know where the opening is. <laughs> Seriously, give me eight yards and an in, and I'm yeah. there. Um, 
But no, you should give the Texans offensively a, a an advantage, an and edge, so yes. a, a slight edge in in personnel. Now you might say that the Texans, excuse me, that the Bills' old line um, has looked better yes. than the Texans' old line so far this year, but. Now that you've got a win under your belt, now that you've had an offense that finally clicked, and David Johnson, who, again, say what you want, we're past the whole DeAndre Hopkins, we're, it's been there, done that, no one's going to uh, uh, lambast that trade anymore because there's nothing left to lambast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.